Welcome inside A Call Away, a look at the minor league system of the New York Yankees, specifically a look at the AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. I'm Adam Giardino, broadcaster for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. And at this point of the season, it feels like our team is playing for New York, which doesn't make too many New York Yankee fans very happy. But with the injuries, so come the promotions and well, the Yankees calling upon plenty of names that we've been familiar with all season here in AAA from Mike Ford to Giovanni Urshela, Kyle Higashioka, and other familiar faces, Clint Frazier, Tyler Wade. Plenty of guys up there contributing to some of the success that New York's having here in 2019. On this week's episode of The Pod, we'll take a run through this past week of baseball for the Rail Riders, although there wasn't a whole lot of it. Weather certainly impacting the play for Scranton Wilkesbury this past week, a couple of scheduled off days as well. Then we're going to have a conversation with Ryan McBroom. He was the biggest bright spot in 2018 for the Rail Riders. In 96 games with Scranton Wilkesbury, 295 average, 11 homers, and 46 driven in, easily the offensive MVP a year ago. And one of the guys that, quite frankly, could have been in the discussion with Mike Ford going up to the big leagues when Greg Bird went down with an injury, but Ford had gotten off to such a red-hot start, and with the left-handed bat of Greg Bird getting injured, the lefty Mike Ford made a little bit more sense at the time of the promotion. Then we're going to be joined again by Adam Marco, the voice of the Rail Riders, my broadcast partner who is in to discuss Gio Gonzalez, what he meant to the team before he was granted his release after opting out the roster fluctuation, we'll take a closer look at those injuries to Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and what it means and has meant to this roster here in AAA. And then a couple of signings, Logan Morrison and Brad Miller. Miller seemingly heading to AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, with Morrison heading to extended spring training, although an arrival with the Rail Riders at some point soon doesn't seem too far out of the question. After that, we've got a conversation with left-handed starter Nestor Cortez who had a busy off-season on the international stage. He headed to the Dominican Republic and played a big role in the Dominican Winter League, winning a championship, his first in pro ball. He talked about what his relationship with Gio Gonzalez meant. They're both from Hialeah, Florida, in the Miami area. Both attended Hialeah High School. And as Nestor noted, that program, Hialeah High School, has won three state titles in school history, and two of them were with Gio Gonzalez on the roster. After that, we'll take a look at the other levels of the minor leagues. We don't have those around-the-system reports from the other broadcasters, but we'll certainly get you caught up on some highlights in single-A Charleston, high-A Tampa, and double-A Trenton. And then we've got a bonus interview for you. These interviews that we play here on the podcast are part of our pregame show, and occasionally we'll head across enemy lines and dip into the opposing clubhouse, and it felt appropriate that Kevin Biggio was our first guest at the time we had him, he's hitting over 400. It's his first go-around in AAA, but boy, he's really taken the league by storm. He's looked like a veteran out there, even though he's all of 23, now 24 years old. So that's the scope of this week's pod, and we're going to jump right into the week that was in AAA for scranton Wilkesbury. And it was a great start to the week, a week that featured very little in the way of actual games played, but... When they played, there were some good ones. On Monday, the Rail Riders trailed 4-0 in the top of the second inning. A couple of two-run doubles off of our pregame guest, Nestor Cortez. And a bit uncharacteristically, Cortez got knocked around early in that one. But the Rail Riders responded immediately. In the bottom of the second inning, the bases were loaded. There was one out. 
and the batter was Billy Fleming. Three balls, two strikes, one down. Bases loaded. Rail Riders down by four. Here's Romero's pitch. Fleming with a fly ball towards right field. Dylan Cousins on the move. Running after it. It's carrying. And it's gone. A grand slam for Billy Fleming. And the Rail Riders tie it up in the bottom half of the second inning. Cousins thinks he's going to make a catch. And it just carries and carries. And he's staring at the railhouse wondering what just happened to a 4-0 Lehigh Valley lead. So Fleming tied the game on one swing. The launch angle was 45 degrees, and it was all of 98 miles an hour off the bat. But with the wind howling out to right field, it was enough to tie the game at four. Scranton took a lead the next inning, but then Lehigh Valley waited until the ninth to rally for the tying run. So that pushed the game into the bottom of the 10th inning. And in the bottom of the 10th inning, there was the pace of play runner that started at second. A ground out by Mike Ford advanced the pace of play runner, Tyro Estrada, to third. The next two batters, Trey Ambergie and Ryan McBroom, were both intentionally walked. And going up against former New York Yankee left-hander James Pazos, it was Ryan LaVarnway coming to the plate. Base is full, a 1-0 count with one out. 5-5 game. LaVarnway, ground ball to third, past the glove of Walding, ball game. A walk-off winner for Ryan LaVarnway, 6-5. 10-inning win for the Rail Riders. Scranton Wilkesbury wins its fifth in a row. So the Rail Riders won on Monday 6-5 in walk-off fashion, their second walk-off win of the season. And the following day was postponed due to rain. So on Wednesday, the Rail Riders played a pair of games, two seven-inning affairs against Lehigh Valley, both 5-3 losses. And then Thursday, a scheduled off day before the team headed up to Buffalo. And boy, was there just a deluge up in Buffalo. A rainout on Friday. Saturday was a scheduled doubleheader. And the teams played two innings before it started to pour again. And they only got two innings in on a doubleheader. So all three games were postponed. And so the Rail Riders, in a full seven days worth of action, played exactly one nine-inning game and a pair of seven-inning games. Then the calendar turns to Monday. And on Monday, April 22nd, Rail Riders got out to a nice early lead off of former big leaguer Justin Nicolino. It was eventually 6-0, but the first chunk of that came in the top of the third inning. Trey Ambergie stepped to the plate with two on and nobody out. Two and one, Nicolino looks at second. Here's the pitch home. Swing and a rocket left center field. This is hit well. Wade Jr. heads back up the alley. He looks up and it's gone. The power potential of Trey Ambergie delivers here in the top of the third. That was the first career AAA home run for Trey Ambergie. He hit 16 a year ago as an all-star with AA Trenton, and he's played very well, hitting close to 300 over the first few weeks of the season in his first stint in AAA. But maybe with that swing, he'll get the power going. Four doubles, a triple, and now his first AAA homer. In that game on Monday, Ryan McBroom continued his great play. He went one for three with a walk. And over his last eight games, capped by that Monday performance, he's 10 for 28, which is a 357 clip. Adam Marco had an opportunity to chat with Ryan during the midst of that hot streak and asked him, what's been going so well for you? And specifically, what's been going so well for you in a bit of an unfamiliar role 
instead of batting third or fourth in the lineup as a power bat, he's been finding his way into the two spot in Jay Bell's lineup. Yeah, for sure. I'm just I'm just in there trying to keep the two hole hot. We call it. Uh, Mike did a uh, he did a fantastic job, you know, hitting in the lineup in that position, and I want to hop right in and continue that success. Um, you know, we got a good lineup, so I'm looking forward to it. It's an interesting lineup with guys that Jay's known for the last couple of years, whether it be Tampa and Trenton. Today you've got Ghost K. Coteau hitting behind you in the lineup, maybe not a guy that you would anticipate seeing in the three spot of the order. Tell me a little bit about the way you see this lineup that Jay's put it together the first two-plus weeks of the season. Yeah, uh, guys are kind of all over the place right now. Um, everybody's, you know, is an offensive threat, whether you're stealing bags or, you know, slapping the ball around the yard. And then we got young guys coming up and hitting, you know, opposite field home runs and just getting on base. And, you know, we're putting a lot of runs together, which is great to see, especially in the young club. You know, um, it's been pretty cool to watch these guys come up and have, you know, instant success. Ryan, your 2018 season, up and down a little bit between Scranton, Wilkesbury, and Trenton, but all told, the numbers you put together between the two levels, a phenomenal job. The average was there. The power game was there. What was your personal takeaway from last year? Uh, last year was definitely a roller coaster of a year. It's one of my more different years than I've had previously in my professional career. Um, but I kind of just told myself, regardless of where I was, whether it was Trenton or, or Scranton, I had to go out and get the job done. You know, people were always watching. Um, and that's what I kind of prided myself on, just going in every single day with the same positive mentality of just getting the job done. And, you know, when the season was over, it paid off for me, and I was proud of myself for the way I handled things. And I'm looking forward to do the same thing this year. So I'm honestly just coming in every single day and getting the work done, regardless of where I am, and continuing to work hard. A subject we haven't really broached yet on our broadcast, a chance to talk to a guy that was with this club in the postseason run last year, one game away from winning a Governor's Cup championship series. What was the vibe through the clubhouse on that last two weeks of the season, the postseason run, and being so close to beating Durham and winning the Governor's Cup in 2018? What was your takeaway from that postseason playoff? Oh, it was a ton of fun. You know, the guys last year were incredible. We had a hilarious team um we meshed together really well you know half the guys even I feel like three quarters of that team was either in the big leagues with the Yankees or a different team at some point of last year and there was just a ton of experience and they were just fun to be around and you know I, I look to do the same thing this year we have the same talent maybe even a better team this year and um a great coaching staff that we're just going to go out and try to do the same thing as we did last year but you know finish it off you look up at the major league level right now, and it seems another day, another injury for the New York Yankees. Knowing that you're one of those guys that could be in the conversation in the future here for New York, what does it? What do you view like? You know, Aaron Judge going down, and then Giancarlo going down prior to that, and Gary Sanchez. I mean, all these injuries. How does a player who's on the cusp take a look at those injuries at the major league level? Yeah, just stay ready. You got to be ready at all times. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, whatever happens up there, um, I'm just going to personally be ready whenever my name gets called. And that's just the way you got to look at it. You got to go in every day, get your work in, um, take care of your body, and just always be ready. Lastly for you, it's been a long time since we've played a full baseball game. How difficult, you know, you go through weeks like this during the season, maybe not the third week of the season where it's so much weather, so much rain, and the off days built in. How do you guys get back to being ready to play baseball with, in theory, another off day not coming for two weeks from today? Yeah, uh, it could be tough, but, I mean, we've been playing the game for so long. Um, I feel like I've been through a lot in my minor league career, 
whether it's, you know, rain delays, off days, all these buildups of, you know, maybe hitting the DL. It's kind of the same concept. You just always got to be ready and, you know, take care of business for when that time comes. And today's, you know, we got a game today, so I, I expect everyone to be ready. Welcome back inside A Call Away. Adam Giardino with you. And just as we are every week, we are joined by the voice of the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, my broadcast partner, Adam Marco. And it's been an interesting week, and we outlined that in the open with all the rain and all of the games missed, all the opportunities missed for the Rail Riders uh, over the last week or so. And now it's time to discuss kind of the on-the-field stuff and Really, a lot of the on-the-field stuff that we're going to discuss has to do with some pieces moving, and the first piece moving away from the Rail Riders is left-handed starter Gio Gonzalez, who was officially, it was called granted his release by the Yankees, but basically Gio exercised his opt-out clause over the weekend. He did. It was April 20th. He was slated to pitch on Friday night. Of course, no baseball to be played in Buffalo pretty much the entire weekend while we were there. So Gonzalez opted out Saturday, 48 hours from that point in time for the Yankees to make the ultimate decision of putting him on the big league roster or granting his release. And it's curious how things played out, especially if you look at what happened in New York on Monday night playing a 14-inning game, and now they might need an arm, but it's not going to be Gio Gonzalez. For what it's worth, when he was with Scranton Wilkes-Barre, he was great, and we've, we've mentioned this in the past. We've had the conversation about the clubhouse persona of Gio Gonzalez. The ability to work with the media is something that you would anticipate from an 11-year Major League veteran, a guy who has been around this game for so long that no question was new, maybe in a different phrasing this year because of his circumstance and what happened with free agency for a lot of players in the offseason. But I think for my view of it all, the very brief chance that Gio is around this team, this clubhouse, he positively impacted the Scranton Scram Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. He was a great clubhouse guy. He was not afraid to answer any questions. He never shied away from any media availability, and that's what you want all those guys down in that clubhouse to be like. So certainly I wish him nothing but the best, and you have to guess that the way he pitched his last two starts that – that opportunity at the major league level cannot be far away. And that positive clubhouse environment, that glue guy, just in such a short time, you're going to hear a little bit about that in our next interview. On the other side of this segment, we've got a conversation from earlier in the week with left-handed starter Nestor Cortez, who's from the same part of Florida, Hialeah, Florida, as Gio Gonzalez. They actually both went to the same high school, granted a decade apart, and Nestor has nothing but just totally positive things to say about Gio in that regard as well. So Gio's off the roster. That changes a six-man rotation to a five-man rotation, but Jonathan Loisaga, who made a start for the Rail Riders, is up to the big league, so that brings us back down to four. Uh, Aaron Judge goes on the DL. Gary Sanchez is getting healthy. At the time of this recording, he had successfully gotten through a rehab game in Charleston, South Carolina. And Giancarlo Stanton is slated to come back. But even that sounds like it might be getting pushed back a little bit. It might not be such an easy return for him, uh, maybe as the Yankees would have hoped. So uh, lots to discuss there. I'll let you just dive in wherever you choose. But that New York Yankees roster is trying to get healthy in the worst way possible. It is, and it's not becoming very easy for New York to do so. It's a constant 
update for us, a constant look at the internet for all of the Yankee fans. When are we going to get our stars back? When can we even begin to think about getting healthy? Is you know, Gary Sanchez that first piece to fall in place? Is it going to be this week? It seems that way. Anticipate he would be out in California to join the team in the very near future and be on an active roster, which would send, you would assume, Kyle Higashioka back down to scranton Wilkesbury. They have Tyro Estrada, who was taken up over the weekend when Judge was put on the injured list. Clint Frazier is now day-to-day with an injury suffered on Monday. So a lot going on. Can't fathom that this is an easy time for Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone because just when you think you're starting to go in the right direction, something else happens. So as the Yankees get healthy, the Rail Riders get some of those players back from the major league level. The Trenton Thunder get some of those players back from the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. The trickle-down effect needs to start at that big league level, and it cannot happen fast enough. I think you have to look at Sanchez and, I believe, Giancarlo Stanton as the first two to be healthy and ready to go. Perhaps there's a possibility that Aaron Hicks might start something in the very near future. And a guy we haven't mentioned yet, but we also haven't heard much from since spring training. We were looking at Mike King for a May 1st potential return to baseball with the Rail Riders, and we're approaching that. We're getting there during the next homestand for Scranton Wilkes-Barre. You talk about a six to a four-man rotation. We might be okay this week because David Hale barely pitched in Buffalo, so the opportunity to come back on regular rest. And then it's Friday or next week. When do we have to decide how we fit into that five-man rotation? But I got to wonder if Mike King isn't that far away from being able to get going for Scranton Wilkes-Barre. That certainly helps this pitching staff. That's one area where it's not really an issue for the Yankees. They have the pitching. They have the ability. It's those position players that they need to get back and active as quickly as possible, let's say, for everybody's sanity's sake. And Michael King is a guy that was drafted out of Boston College by the Miami Marlins, was acquired in a trade at the end of the 2017 season with Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith heading to Miami. And last year, all Michael King did was be named New York Yankees minor league pitcher of the year. He's the number five prospect in the system, according to Baseball America. And in the scope of what he did across the minor league landscape, he was second among all minor league pitchers in ERA with a 1.79 figure. And he was sixth with five and a half strikeouts to walk last year and 152 strikeouts with fewer than 30 walks. He was remarkable and he made seven starts down the stretch with the Rail Riders and was excellent in every single one of those. So Michael King, just another name to throw into the mix for the Rail Riders and two other names that we think we're going to have thrown in the mix our way with the Yankees announcing the signing to minor league contracts of both Logan Morrison and Brad Miller, a couple of guys that will provide infield depth, if not in slightly different ways. And we'll see. Morrison is apparently headed down to extended spring training. He didn't have the traditional spring that a player normally would, especially player of his stature and his tenure across baseball. So perhaps we get him during that next seven-game homestand. Maybe it's after that, however much time. We had a similar scenario last year with Adam Lind where he was 
signed, went to extended spring, joined Tampa because he was already down there and then got promoted to the Rail Riders for about a month before his opt-out. Now, Morrison has a July 1st opt-out, so we get a couple of months of that once he is on the roster. Potentially, you never know. Brad Miller was just signed on Monday, and that is an intriguing option for Scranton Wilkesbury and eventually the New York Yankees because you don't know the status of some of those infielders. How quickly can Troy Tulowitzki come back? How quickly will Didi be ready to go when they give him full rights to get to baseball activities on a daily rehab t- style basis? And we still don't really know the future for Miguel Andujar. It could be weeks, it could be months, it could be a year. There's still a lot left on the table. It's trending in the right direction for the Yankees to get him back this year, but you know, one false move, one twist, one turn, as this season has provided for New York, you never know what that next opportunity is going to create. So it could certainly help boost Scranton Wilkesbury with some major league veterans, guys that down the line the Yankees will have to find something to sort out on a 40-man roster. But for the time being, they want to see what they have left in the tank. Miller was playing for Cleveland. He had a good spring. He was DFA'd by the Indians and ultimately became a free agent, elected for free agency. So that's how the Yankees had the chance to bring him in. Ironically, when the Yankees signed him, I was looking for articles on Brad Miller. And before (laughs) he was even signed, a week ago, CBS Sports or somebody had written an article about the Yankees should go after Brad Miller. And here we are a week later. Somebody was apparently listening. We'll see what length of time this process takes for Morrison and Miller not just to get to the Rail Riders roster, but if and when they could impact New York. Miller was DFA'd, and it's really curious because the timing of it where, as you said, he was playing for the Cleveland Indians, but he was eight for his last 24, batting 333 over a handful of games at the time that he was DFA'd, so he was playing some good baseball. Meanwhile, Logan Morrison was bought out of his contract with the Minnesota Twins. He signed a deal with the Twins last year, five and a half million dollars in 2018 and the return on investment wasn't particularly strong for minnesota it was a 186 average 15 homers in 95 games but it's hard to blame them the year before he batted 250 and 38 homers with tampa bay so minnesota thought they had something cooking with logan morrison and maybe there's some of that still left in the tank for a guy that is still only 31 years old couple of seasons removed from being a 38 homer guy and the whole controversy around whether or not he or Gary Sanchez should be in the home run derby it's that version of this story that makes you realize baseball is truly a business you know would this have happened in the 1970s or 80s or even 90s where a guy says something and it snowballs would he be signed by the organization or the have to deal with a fan base that he said things about well now it's yankee fans will forget it all if morrison gets to the major leagues on that roster he starts hitting home runs he bats i don't know even 250 240 everything is healed by winning and things can be forgotten but that said i think a lot can be done if morrison gets to that big league roster he can rehabilitate his image within the yankees spectrum by just helping the club get healthy, stay healthy, and win games. Adam Marco, the voice of the Rail Riders, our guest as always. The weekly segment of Broadcast Banter has come to a close. Thanks again. Of course. 
Coming up next, we've got that aforementioned conversation with Rail Riders starting pitcher Nestor Cortez. It's been a busy start to the season for Nestor, and we start with his even busier 2018 offseason. I went home after the playoffs uh, here. Uh, I think it was like the 15th of September. Um, and they told me to report for the beginning of the year, for the beginning of the season in winter ball. It was October 5th, the workout started for the uh, guys that were going across seas. Um, season started the 13th. So basically just, you know, I went on vacation as soon as I got home with my family, uh, trying to knock that out first. And then uh, I kept throwing once I got home, uh, you know, just to stay prepared for the season. Uh, played a month and a half in the DR. Um, I came back the day of Thanksgiving. I flew back, uh, had Thanksgiving with my parent with my family, uh, and had like a month off of baseball. Um, and I told them that I'll be back if they make it to the playoffs. And they clinched and they called me. So, you know, we came to agreement and I went, they wanted me to go, they wanted me to actually stay for Christmas Day over there. I told them uh, I can't do that. So I went for three days, the 20th to the, to the 23rd, 24th. I came back Christmas Eve, P had one start, came back to the States. I went from the 25th to the 31st to Washington DC for vacation again. And the second I was on a flight back to DR to finish off the, the postseason. Um, we wanted the 23rd and I flew back the 25th. I couldn't celebrate because I had a, I got a call from uh, the pitching coordinator to report the 28th to Tampa. So I basically said, look, I gotta go home. I'm sorry I can't attend the celebration, uh, but I gotta wash my clothes and I gotta you know <laughs> see people before I actually go to Tampa. And luckily my parents and girlfriend were with me in, in the DR, so I was I was able to spend some time with them before I, I left to the Tampa. Um, so we went the 23rd, left the 25th. Month, that was Friday. Monday I was in Tampa throwing a bullpen. Um, and I asked if I can, if I can please go to the, uh, the Caribbean series, which was the following week. And basically I was gonna have one start. It was the first game. Um, and if we got all the way to the championship, I was gonna pitch a championship game. So we won the first game uh, that I pitched and we got eliminated by a three-way tie, which came down to batting average, which with teams, yeah. It was miserable. Um, wow. So I left, I left a Saturday when the championship game was going on, straight to Miami. And this was Saturday. And Monday I drove up with my girlfriend to Tampa again. <laughs> so yeah, it was quite like, it was a crazy two weeks, um, but I'm glad I, I, I was able to experience it because, you know, I won my first ring as a professional, even though it was in, in winter leagues, but it counts. Um, and it was, it was fun to be around those guys and, and have the atmosphere that we had uh, day in, day out. Every time, you know, there was a game at home, we packed out every time because it was, uh, it's been 51 years that the team hadn't won. So the Estrellas. It's been 51 years, and you know it was fun to be part of, and we had great talent. And uh, obviously, you're saying you, you packed the house. What was an average crowd like for for those games? Well, usually the normal packed house is like 12 to 15 thousand people, but there were 20 thousand people at the stands. I mean, they were standing up in front of people. Everybody had to stand up. They couldn't sit down. Um, they actually behind the dugout there was it was it's no seats so they they, they put portable seats on t on top of the dugout 
uh, down the line they put they put ra- railings and seats there so it was chaos but it was fun it was like I said it was a great atmosphere to play around all right, we're here with Nestor Cortez tonight, starting pitcher on the pregame show. So let's jump ahead to this season. Spring training comes and goes, and towards the end of spring training, Gio Gonzalez gets signed by the Yankees. And, of course, he was granted his release yesterday by New York. So he's no longer here, but he's someone that obviously has had an impact. You're both from the same area in Miami, so he's somebody that's had an impact on your career. What is that history between you two? Yeah, so definitely... Um when he signed, I think when he signed, his last year in Oakland and his first year with Washington when he signed his big contract, um, he started giving back to a program, uh, to, to the same high school we went from. So he gave everybody team cleats, team gloves, and, you know, coming from the same high school and being a left-handed pitcher just like him, I was like, wow, this, this is pretty special. Uh, so I started looking up to him. I didn't really know him before because I was too young to, you know, recognize who he was. Um, but I know that he had won two state championships at the high school. Uh, by the way, we only have three, so that was pretty big. Um, so him giving back and coming back every day, and, you know, he actually tossed with me most of the time when he was down there, you know, getting his work done to go to spring training, and our season was about to start, so it was perfect timing. Um, I just looked up to the guy. Uh, you know, he had nothing but good things to say every time he went, and, you know, he was he was all about the bleed. We, we say we bleed blue because our, our team is red, blue, and white, so, you know, it, it was like a saying that they had. And it was pretty cool. Um, and now that I actually got time to play with him, it was it was incredible. Uh, he stayed at the house with me, uh, so he didn't have to stay anywhere else. Um, you know, he, he did a lot of special things for guys in here and guys for me, so we're really appreciated about that. Yeah, there was an article where it had gotten out about the, yeah. the arcade unit in the clubhouse, and he tried to very quietly get cleats for everybody. So very similar stuff to what he was doing for the, the yeah. high schoolers. But just describe, Gio, the person, a 33-year-old on a minor league contract and a two-time All-Star who seemed to make an impact. Yeah, I mean, before he even got here, honestly, uh, years before, every time he would come on the TV, I used to you know, pay attention very closely, and people be like, "Dude, what's what's wrong with you? Why do you like this guy so bad?" Um, and now that he's, that when he got here, people started saying, "Well, I understand why you were so high on him." Um, you know, he was just a genuine guy that wanted to make you better and <clears throat> wanted to know what you were thinking. Even though, like you said, he's a 33-year-old uh, veteran that made two All-Star appearances, and you know, he's he was almost a Cy Young winner. Uh, but he was picking brains, and he wanted to know what every guy was thinking when they were out there, you know, making a pitch or trying to compete. And he also uh, gave his intake on how he went about things and how it should be done. Back inside a call away, Adam Giardino with you, radio broadcaster for the AAA scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. This week we don't have those official reports from the other broadcasters in the Yankees organization, so I'm going to do it myself. Down in AA, the Trenton Thunder have been getting great production from guys on both sides of the baseball On the offensive side specifically, it's fallen on the shoulders of one man, Ben Ruda, outfielder who's playing in his second season with Trenton. He's a 420 hitter, which leads the league. His on-base percentage of 500 does as well. And oh, by the way, he's slugging 600 thanks to seven doubles and a league-best 21 hits overall. And just to try it on for size, five stolen bases as well for Ruda who a season ago played in 36 games for Trenton and batted 314 combined between two levels last year. He batted 300 in 119 games between high A Tampa, double A Trenton. This is a guy who's 24. 
He was a 30th round pick a couple of years ago out of Wagner. So didn't go to a big D1 university, wasn't a highly acclaimed top pick by any team. And all he's done since he's gotten to pro ball is hit. Two years ago, a 273 average with Charleston, that 300 average a year ago, 420 so far this season in just over a dozen games with AA Trenton. Meanwhile, on the pitching side of things, Garrett Whitlock has been great for Trenton. He has a 1.5 ERA over 18 innings, so that's three earned runs over 18 innings pitched and has been somebody that Trenton has really been able to rely upon every time he takes the baseball. He's the number 17 prospect in the system, 6'5", 190-pounder, taken out of University of Alabama-Birmingham in 2017 when the Yankees took him in the 18th round and signed him for almost $250,000, about double the recommended slot amount. In high A Tampa, it's been all Dermis Garcia so far in the early part of the season. Garcia was a top 30 prospect last year when he was a 20-year-old coming off the season in which he belted 17 homers in only 63 games. But then in full season ball in Charleston, he hit 240, 15 homers, but struck out 111 times, almost a third of his at-bats. It's been a renaissance for him this year out of the gate with high A Tampa. The Yankees were aggressive with pushing him. And even though Garcia doesn't rank in the top 30, according to Baseball America this year, the 21-year-old is opening some eyes. He's leading the Florida State League in home runs and runs batted in through 17 games, six homers, 20 driven in, and a 313 average. So you better believe that if these ranking systems were to redo the top 30 for New York, the 21-year-old Garcia would suddenly find himself thrust back into the top 15. He's a guy with a ton of talent, and he's somebody that Yankee fans better keep an eye on. At 6'3", he's got such power potential, and even at a young age, he really knows how to tap into it, and now it's a question of whether that 313 average is something that he can keep going and keep the average respectable as he continues to pile up the homers. And then perhaps the most fun guy to keep tabs on this season has been Sean Semple down in single-A Charleston. He's an 11th-round pick two years ago out of University of New Orleans, a 23-year-old from Voorhees, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. Semple has been used in a relief role, but Charleston, they do piggyback games. So in a relief role, Semple has thrown five innings once and four innings three times. And in those outings, he's allowed one earned run on four hits. Opponents are batting 074 against him. Four hits in 17 innings. He struck out a league-best 30 and has only walked two. So six base runners in 17 innings off of Sean Semple. He clocks in at about 92, maybe touches 94, but his ability to hide the baseball behind his back. He's a right-hander and hide it behind his back hide it in his glove, hitters aren't seeing the baseball. And so 92-94 suddenly looks like 96-98 coming out of the arm of the right-hander. So that's your look this week at the New York Yankees minor league system. And as promised earlier in the episode, we're getting you a bonus interview. And it's with one of the top prospects in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. The Rail Riders faced Buffalo plenty over the first couple of weeks of the season 11 of the first 17 games scheduled for Scranton Wilkes-Barre this year coming against Buffalo, the AAA affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays. 
And one of the guys that cracks their top 10 in terms of prospects is Kevin Biggio. And it's not a favor because of the last name that Biggio gets such high acclaim. It's his first year in AAA. He's been outstanding with the bat. He plays multiple positions and really only slightly reminds you of his Hall of Fame father. But with this being his first taste of AAA baseball, when we sat down and chatted with Kevin, the first question really had to be, what was it like for you getting your first taste of AAA against Gio Gonzalez on opening night against the Rail Riders? Opening day, there's always going to be a, a little bit of uh, extra excitement there. Um, you know, long spring training and, you know, uh, stats beginning to count. So, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of buzz and a lot of um, excitement around opening day. And, you know, I was just trying to be aggressive and, um, you know, first couple of bats went my way. People say the biggest jump in the minors is from high A to double A just in terms of pitching getting better. What's been the biggest thing that's jumped out to you now coming from double A to triple A? I think that the um, the pitchers get a little bit better at um, you know what they're doing and um, you know I think they execute their plan uh, more consistent here. Um, you know you get um, some older guys, some ex big league guys, and you know they they miss their spots less often up here and uh, and I think that's just gonna it's just gonna go to the next level where they're gonna be even better at it with a little bit bit better stuff. So. Um, so double AA, A, triple A, I mean, it's pretty much the same, except, you know, the talent's a little bit better and the guys are a little bit better at executing pitches. Obviously, the wins and losses are still coming along in 2019, but yeah. last year you guys put together quite a run in double A with New Hampshire, ultimately ending up with a championship. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you look back on last year, what are the things that really stick out to you? Um, I think the biggest thing is, like you said, the championship, um, you know, um, you know, we're all trying to get to the big leagues, and um, you know, minor leagues can be a grind. But you know, winning makes everything that much more fun, everything better. And uh, you know, we're all just trying to get better here, so we get to the big leagues. And when you win, I think that just speeds up your development a little bit uh, more. And so, yeah, last year a lot of fun, especially just winning that championship with that group of guys. It was a lot of good, really good time. Kevin Biggio, our guest here on the pregame show. Obviously, the last name, Biggio. When I think of your father, I think of the versatility and how impressive it is from someone to play outfield, catcher, infield. You have a little bit of versatility in your game. Was that instilled just growing up from day one that you knew the best way to be productive just to play as many positions as possible? I mean, yeah. I mean, my dad had always taught me to be very open-minded to uh, wherever you're playing or wherever you're hitting. Growing up, he always just said, you know, best position is on the field and best spot to hit in the order is in the lineup. So um, he obviously did it in, in the big leagues from catcher to second. That can't, can't imagine doing that. But um, but in high A, you know, the Blue Jays approached me and they said, hey, we like to, you know, try you out at third base. And then next year it was first base. And the end of the year it was outfield too. So um, I think having the, all those in my arsenal, it's just uh, going to help me and the club out. So, uh, so yeah, I enjoy doing it and um, it's a lot of fun. How many games in your life, Little League, T-ball, did you catch? Actually a good bit. Um, I actually enjoyed catching a lot up until high school and I, I stopped completely. But, uh, but yeah, Little League and whatever that uh, middle school time, I, I, caught a, I caught a good bit and I really liked to do it. But once high school came around, I kind of just stuck a, a shortstop in third and second base. Kevin Biggio, our guest here on the pregame show, the big thoughts surrounding this clubhouse right now from the national perspective is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. His numbers in his minor league career speak for themselves, but playing alongside him now for parts of a couple of years, what's something that you've been able to pluck from him and, and try to incorporate into your game? There's a lot of things you can take from Vladi, but um, I think um, what makes him so great besides you know the power and the 
the contact ability with the mix of power. Um, I think his consistency is what makes him so great. And you know, doesn't matter who's pitching, doesn't matter if he's tired or he's just gonna he's gonna bring it. And I think that uh, anybody can take that level of consistency where. Not only on the field, I mean, it's hard to do when like trying to get hit every day, and he does. But uh, but just being around the locker room, you know, he seems re- he's he's uh, the same guy, and I think that just kind of falls into play with um, you know who he is on the field, being consistent on the field. So to take away from him is just you know be the same guy every day, and um, you know just try to approach each pitcher with uh, the same mindset. Big thanks to Kevin Biggio for joining us earlier this week on the pregame show. And that's going to put a wrap on this week's episode of A Call Away. Also, thanks to Nestor Cortez, lefty for the Rail Riders, as well as first baseman and corner outfielder Ryan McBroom for joining us as well. And a big thanks to my broadcast partner, Adam Marco, on the broadcast banter segment of the pod. I'm Adam Giardino, and if you want to catch any Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders radio broadcast, you can catch them on the Rail Riders radio network, the TuneIn Radio app and on the MILB First Pitch app as well. Pre-game coverage starts every day 30 minutes before first pitch, and then Adam Marco and I will have coverage of every single pitch the rest of the way. I'm Adam Giardino, and we will talk to you next week on A Call Away.